today for our sermon. We're nearing the end of the series that we've been in. We've been in Genesis for a while now. We have one more after this week, and then we'll move on to a new series. But uh, today we're going to be looking at Jacob. Uh, and in particular, we're going to be looking at really a couple passages about Jacob and his life. Uh, and we're going to be focusing in on the fact that Jacob maybe wasn't always the greatest guy, wasn't always the greatest brother or son. In fact, his name, which means he grabs the heel, but also sort of figuratively means sort of he deceives or betrays or cheats, is awfully prophetic of what he's like in his life. And he is quite the deceiver, the betrayer, the cheater. Um, and what we're going to take a look at is that fact about him, but not just that, but the fact that even in spite of this, that sort of Jacob would be that brother that you would never really want to have, um, in spite of the fact that he was not so mature of a follower of the Lord, even in spite of all that, God used him, and in fact used him in a great and wondrous and glorious way. And certainly we're going to take that, we're going to apply that to our lives. And I think oftentimes, this is sort of where we're going to go with this, but we sort of think we're not equipped for work that God has for us, that surely God's not going to use us because we're nobodies, or, oh, I'm not as mature of a Christian as I should be. And the reality is God uses even the nobodies. He uses even the Jacobs, even the deceivers, even the people who struggle with sin in all sorts of ways in their lives. He uses even those people in great and glorious ways in service to Him and His kingdom for His purposes, for His glory. And so, of course, when we see God calling us to serve him in some sort of way. We, we don't want to be making the excuses of, oh, you know, I'm not equipped, I'm not the right person, but we need to recognize God uses even the Jacobs to do great and wondrous things. So let's dive into to scripture here. We're going to be looking at a passage starting in Genesis chapter 25, then we're going to be jumping to chapter 27. But for now, Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 34. And I'll read this for us. And it says, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to you? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And what is God really talking about here? Certainly this would have been contrary to what you would have expected. Certainly thinking the ancient Near East, right? We would expect, well, surely the younger will serve the older, right? This sort of that priority of place given to the firstborn, uh, sort of that birthright and all of that, that comes with that. And yet God says, no, I'm actually going to flip things around. And in fact, the older will serve the younger. And certainly we see this coming to fruition with, with Esau and Jacob and how uh, we'll read about this a little bit more in this passage, but how uh, Jacob sort of usurps that position as the firstborn, gets that birthright, gets the blessing as well from his father Isaac. 
But, but really, this isn't just talking about Jacob and Esau and those two individuals, but of course it's also talking about uh, their descendants, the nations that will come from them. So the Edomites from Esau and of course the Israelites from Jacob. And what is it saying of them? It's saying that the Edomites, those who are descended from the older, will in fact serve those descended from the younger, the Israelites. And certainly this does come to fruition uh, repeatedly in an ongoing and frequent way over the course of the history of those two countries. The Edomites are subjected to the Israelites and sort of serve them, right? Pay tribute to them or sort of a vassal state of theirs. There are times when they sort of throw off the shackles briefly for some period of time and have their own freedom for a bit, but sort of on the whole, the Edomites wind up serving the Israelites. And so, of course, this does come to fruition, of course. But let's read on. It says, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. In an appropriate name, Esau means hairy, so they have a hairy kid, and they figure, what will we name him? Harry. Uh, not like Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, but actually Harry. Uh, I'm not sure that's a name I'd want, but that's the name he got. Uh, but so, let's read on from there. They named him Esau, Harry. Uh, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And Jacob means, in sort of the literal sense, he grabs the heel. But sort of the figurative meaning of that is something along the lines of he deceives or uh, he cheats or betrays or deals craftily with and of course, this is rather prophetic of Jacob and, and what he's like in life and sort of the way he treats his brother and operates with his father. And we're going to take a look at this as we read on. So it's a very appropriate name for him, not just because he was grasping Esau's heel, but of course, because he is that cheater and deceiver. So he was named Jacob. Jacob, And then it reads, reading on, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom, uh, Edom means red, so first of all, when he's born, he's sort of reddish, whether that's red hair or just sort of a reddish color to his skin, we're not told exactly, but in some way he's reddish. Uh, but then at the very same time, not only is he already sort of reddish in color, but this story plays out where there's this red stew and he's just got to have it, he's starving, famished, he just has to have the stew, and of course what winds up happening as we're reading here, uh, he sells his birthright, trades it for this stew, and so he winds up being called Edom. Uh, centrally here, in, in a primary sense, because of this red stew, but also it certainly would have helped the fact that he had this reddish color as well. So, going on, right, he says, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Probably not the nicest thing for a brother to do, right? Imagine you're sort of a parent, you got two, two sons, you'd probably hope that this isn't the way they treat one another, but this is the way that Jacob operates here. And he figures, ooh, I've sort of got Esau here in a little bit of a corner. You know, maybe he knows at this point, uh, sort of 
his lot in life in the sense of that he's to be, in a sense, sort of the firstborn, though he wasn't actually the firstborn, that God's plan is for him to sort of have that priority of place. But even though God's going to bring this about, Jacob shouldn't think that it's his place to, to bring it about in a sort of deceitful way, but, but he does. Right? So he figures, I got Esau backed into a corner. I can sort of get what I want from him. And so that's what he seeks to do. He says, right, first sell me your birthright. And what does Esau say? He says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. So in a sense, effectively, Jacob's like the firstborn. It has that priority of place. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And so what do we see here? We see Jacob sort of being Jacob-like, deceitful, right? Cheating his brother, sort of betraying his brother. He should have been looking out for Esau. Hey, if you're hungry, have some of my stew. No big deal. But he's sort of this trickster, deceiver. And, and what does he do? He takes advantage of his brother and, and cheats him out of his birthright. That said... Esau was sort of acting foolishly here. It's not really that he had no other options for food. In fact, the way this passage closes is by saying Esau despised, right, in this way or so, Esau despised his birthright. It's not really that he had no other option. If you think about it, right, even going back to Abraham, uh, Abraham had all sorts of servants and men in his household. His household wasn't just sort of him, his wife, his kids, right? He had many male and female servants, a great household that was passed on to Isaac. Isaac inherited this. So there's this huge household. There has to be other food among the tents uh, of, of, of course, Isaac and not just his immediate family, but the whole of his household, all of these servants. Yet Esau here sort of walks in, you know, you can imagine he sees the food, he smells it, it's just sort of, it's right in front of me, I just got to have it, whatever I desire, desire, I must have, and so he feels like he has to have this here and now, and is willing to sell his birthright, when in reality, he could have just walked out, gone to some other tent, some servant, and said, hey, you got some bread that I can have? Oh, sure, you know, you're my master's son, help yourself, right? He would have had other options, and so there was a sense in which Esau sort of despised uh, his birthright and didn't sort of value it the way that he should have. But nonetheless, we see, even if Esau's sort of guilty of despising his birthright, Jacob here is very much uh, the cheater, betrayer, deceiver uh, that his name implies. But this isn't the only time that he acts that way. It's not that, oh, he's sort of uh, a little bit of, of a, a bad brother here one time, but you know, that's it. Uh, but rather, of course, it's a pattern of behavior, and we see that elsewhere. And we're going to see this, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 27, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 45. And again, we're sort of setting up that, that Jacob is this sort of, you might almost look at it as scum of the earth. This guy who tricked his own brother, his own flesh and blood uh, out of his birthright, and now he's going to steal his blessing, as if uh, the blessing from his father, as if that weren't enough to steal the birthright, right? He's sort of the low of the low, but we're just sort of setting that up so then we can look at the fact that God uses even those low of the low, the scum of the earth, the worst brother in the world, right? Of course, God uses even people like that in great ways. And that's what we're going to look at. But so Genesis chapter 27, starting at verse 1. Let me read it. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, 
get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me, right? You can imagine he's sort of getting old in age, he knows his time's come, I, you know, I just sort of want this delicious last meal of mine, you know, my, my dear son whom I love, my favorite son, go hunt for me, make me this delicious meal, and then I'll give you this wonderful blessing, right? That's sort of what's going on. So he says, prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. So at this point, you might think, well, you know, this is Rebecca's doing. You know, is Jacob guilty of being this sort of deceiver, trickster here? Um, of course, he is. We're going to see. He's, he's very much complicit in it. Um, and as we read on, right, Jacob's sort of thinking, how's this plan going to work out? You know, is, is my dad going to figure this out? Is Isaac going to know that it's me? So Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, this is verse 11, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin, right? He's thinking, you know, hey, dad's going to figure this out, you know, right? I'm probably going to sound like me, not like Esau. He's hairy. I'm not so hairy. You know, this isn't going to play out well for me, right? My brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins, right? So she's sort of taking care of the issues, covers all those smooth parts with, with the goat skins, and they're sort of hairy, right? It's going to seem like Esau. Isaac's blind at this point, so visually he can't tell. If he feels, it's going to seem like, oh, this is Esau. And then she puts the clothing on him, which, as we're going to find out, it sort of smells like Esau, right? He's worn this clothing a lot, sort of has that fragrance of Esau, whatever that is. And, of course, that's going to add to sort of the trickery and, and cover up what's going on. So... Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? You can imagine maybe he's a little suspicious, you know, what, you already managed to go out, hunt this game, shoot it, bring it back, cook it all up, right? How did you find it so quickly, my son? And what's Jacob's response? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Right, so not only here is he, is he tricking his father, right, being deceitful, claiming to be Esau, right? It's not just like, oh, Rebecca's guilty in this alone, right? He's participating in, he's in this. He's lying to his father, claiming to be Esau. And then just to sort of add to it, 
he winds up invoking the name of the Lord in his lies, right? I sort of feel like, man, you know, it's one thing to lie to your father, and that's a big deal, but boy, you're going to sort of bring the Lord's name into it and say, the Lord your God gave me success, when of course that's just an outright lie. He didn't go into the wilderness and, and hunt and have success from the Lord there. But of course, he still does this, calls upon the name of the Lord, uses the name of the Lord in his lies and his deceit, sort of the lowest of the low in the way he's behaving here. So let's read on, verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Right? So still a little bit suspicious here, but he figures, ah, you know, there probably aren't too many people out there hairy the way Esau is, right? My son. So if he comes here, even though I can't see well and I can touch him, then I'll know, right? So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, right? He's, he's a little bit astute. He realizes you don't sound like Esau. You sound like Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Right. So the trickery continues. Right. I guess Rebecca was sort of shrewd in sort of a dishonest way, but to recognize, oh, you know, maybe just the, the skin with the hair on it, maybe that's not enough, the goat skins to put that on. Let's also have him wear Esau's clothing and it'll smell like Esau and that'll trick Isaac. And of course it does. And so he goes on, may God, this is verse 28, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. Right? This isn't going to go well, of course. Uh, he too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father asked him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me. Me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing, right? The name Jacob is quite appropriate. He is that uh, cheater, betrayer, deceiver. And he shows that in both of these stories. Right, both of these events that took place. And so Esau says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? 
Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine, so what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. And certainly that is true. While generally the Edomites were subjected to Israel, there were times where they sort of rebelled and overthrew that, uh, that, that oppression that was upon them, and they were free for certain times, but sort of as a general rule, they were subjected to the people of Israel. So reading on, verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So sort of what do I want to show here? I, I kind of already mentioned this, but I really want to illustrate uh, just how deceitful, just how sinful Jacob is in both of these stories. And that's just sort of the way he was. He was that as his name implies, that deceiver. He was dishonest, right? He cheated his brother out of his birthright that was Esau's by birth. Certainly it was God's plan to sort of flip things around, but that doesn't mean the way it should have taken place was through deceit. And of course, that's the way Jacob acted, deceitfully tricking his brother, betraying him, stealing that birthright. And then as if that wasn't enough to go and do it again, in a sense, and wind up stealing the blessing as well, lying to his father, using the Lord's name, invoking the name of the Lord in that as he's telling lies, deceiving his father, tricking his brother out of the blessing that would have been his, right? And this is just sort of Jacob being Jacob. And yet, even in spite of this, right, we might sort of look at this and say, oh, you know, would God use someone like Jacob in any sort of great or grand way, this wicked sinner, even if he did follow the Lord and love the Lord, I mean, he was sort of still steeped in all sorts of rebellion and sin and so forth. Would God really have used him in any sort of great way? And the reality is, of course, he did use Jacob in great ways. And this is just the way in which we see God operating uh, in various ways, not just with Jacob, but just to look at the example of Jacob, right? He is used in a great and grand way. If we think, if we sort of back up to Abraham a little bit and think of that covenant that God made with Abraham, and we talked about that some odd weeks ago, and all of those covenantal promises, those blessings, right? Uh, the promise that, that Abraham's descendants would be made into this great nation, that they would inherit the promised land of, of Canaan, right? That kings would come from, from him, from his descendants. That'd be that line of Davidic kings. And that ultimately, and this is of course fulfilled in Christ, that through the offspring of, of Abraham, that one offspring, that one seed, way on down the road, that's Christ himself, that all nations would be blessed. And all these covenantal promises are, are passed on from Abraham to Isaac, right? Not to Ishmael, but to Isaac. And then from Isaac, they're passed on not to Esau, but of course to Jacob. And, and Israel, of course, his other name that he's given by the Lord to Israel, right? It's given to Jacob. And so what we realize is that 
um, it's in Jacob, in his descendants, in his offspring, that all of these wondrous and glorious promises are fulfilled. And of course, centrally, that promise of Christ, that through his seed, through his offspring, that is Christ, all nations would be blessed, that that promised one would come, make atonement for sin uh, for the world, for all who would trust in him. Right? And he is sort of the father of the people, the nation in which all of these promises are fulfilled. And that is a huge and major role, not just in some sort of side story of scripture, but this is a huge and major role to be the father of this people, right? This people group, this nation in which these promises will be fulfilled. This is a major role in sort of the story of the Bible, the story of redemption, the story of God going and redeeming a lost people, the story of God going, going and saving man from his sin. And Jacob plays a hugely important role in that, right, as sort of the father of this nation. And it's in this nation, in this, these descendants of Jacob, of course, that all these covenantal promises will be fulfilled. And so we recognize that Jacob plays a huge role. God uses Jacob in an incredible way, in a grand and glorious way, in his plan of redemption. And this is Jacob, the horrible brother, the worst brother you could possibly imagine, the deceiver, the liar, the cheater, so forth and so on, right? You name it, right? Jacob was sort of, he was kind of scum. If you knew somebody who tricked his brother out of all these things, right, the way that Jacob did, you'd probably say, that guy's kind of a piece of work, right? He's something else in a, in a bad way. And that would be our mindset. And yet, of course, God uses just that guy. And I think all too often we have the mindset that God only uses sort of the people who have their act all together, or the people who are well-known, the people who are famous, the people who have all the skills and equipping. And then when sort of God comes toward to us and sort of is calling us to step out and serve him in some way, our mindset is sort of like, you know, not me, Lord. I'm not the right person for that. Uh, I'm not skilled enough. I'm a nobody. Or I I'm still wrestling with all these sins in my life. Surely there's someone more mature in the faith, someone more obedient. And Lord, you'd rather use him rather than me. Surely you can't accomplish or won't accomplish anything great through someone like me, some lowly, sinful person like me. And the reality is that while God does sometimes use sort of the big, powerful people who are well-equipped and so forth and so on, and he can and does use them, the reality is that very often God delights in using the nobodies, the sinful people, the people that you almost wouldn't expect, and yet God uses them in these great and grand ways. And I'd say very often the reason God does that is because he wants to make it all the more clear and apparent that it's him, that it's God who's at work in it, right? If you look at somebody who's sort of a nobody and doesn't seem to have great talents or abilities or skill, isn't powerful, isn't wealthy, isn't all those wonderful things, and yet God does something great through him, it's all the more clear that surely it's God at work and not that person. And so I'd say often that's why God chooses to use those people. And he very often chooses to use people, again, just like us. We might think, you know, we're nobodies. Who are we? We wrestle with things. We struggle with sin in our lives. We're not oh so wondrously equipped in all sorts of ways. And yet the reality is God wants to use each and every one of us. God has a plan for each and every one of us. He wants to use each and every one of us, his faithful followers, right? Even in spite of all of our shortcomings, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of all of that, every failing that we may have, God is saying, I want to use each and every one of you for some sort of significant purpose in service to the Lord, in service to his kingdom, for his glory. And our response needs to be, yes, Lord. If you want to use me in some sort of significant way, even if I think I'm not the right guy, 
I don't have all the skills. I don't have all the talents. I'm not that great, mature Christian who's got it all together. Even if you think you're not the person, if God's saying, I'm calling you to step out and do this and serve me in this way, we just need to recognize that, hey, if God's calling me to do it, even if I don't feel equipped for it, even if I have all of my hesitations, I just need to be faithful. And I need to say, yes, Lord, and serve the Lord recognizing that he is going to do something great and significant, maybe not as great and significant as being Jacob and being the father of this nation and people group through whom all, all of those wonderful Abrahamic covenantal promises are, find their fulfillment, of course. But God still wants to do great and wondrous things in each and every one of us, through each and every one of us. And we just need to, to be able to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to serve you faithfully, rather than stifling God's work and saying, no, not me. Choose someone else. Surely, God, there's someone else who's better equipped for this, someone else you'd rather use. So, Lord, I'm going to pass on it. Find someone else. And so I want to challenge us, right? God wants to use, as I said, each and every one of us in some sort of significant way in service to him, his kingdom, for his glory. And I want to challenge us that as we feel God laying something on our heart, calling us to sort of step out, serve him in some way, be used by him in some way, just say, yes, Lord. Recognize that God wants to use you even in spite of your failings and shortcomings in some sort of significant way and be eager to do so and have that response of, yes, Lord, I will serve you. Even in spite of all of my hesitations, in spite of all of my doubts, I will be faithful. If you are calling me to serve you, if you want to use me in some sort of way for you and for your glory, so let it be, Lord, and I will serve you. Amen to that. And let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this story and, and thank you for the fact that you delight in using nobodies like us. We're not famous. We're not wondrously wealthy. We may not have all the skills and abilities of, of some other people we may think of, Lord, and yet you want to use each and every one of your people, Lord, in a significant way for you, for your kingdom, for your glory. Even in spite of our every shortcoming, Lord, you delight in using us. And all too often our response is, Lord, not me. I'm not equipped enough. I'm not mature enough. I'm not some champion of the faith. Surely you must use someone else and you can't possibly use me, Lord. But you delight in using people just like us with all of our failings. And when you call us to step out and serve you and be used by you, Lord, may we certainly respond faithfully and eagerly, saying, Lord, even in spite of my shortcomings, even in spite of my doubts, I will serve you. I will be faithful. And may you then use each and every one of us in small and great ways, Lord, for you to further your purposes and your kingdom for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.